for your Emmy consideration, HBO Max presents Hacks. Nominated for 17 Emmys, including Outstanding Comedy Series and Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series for Gene Smart. Don't miss the series critics call a triumph. All episodes now streaming on HBO Max. Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the one-stop shop for actors and creators both above and below the line. I am your host, Vinny Mancuso, Backstage Senior Editor and Professional Entertainment Obsessive. I'll be your guide through every corner of the creative industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. Here you'll find intimate, in-depth talks with today's most award-worthy names in film, television, and theater. Along the way, we'll get advice on living your best creative life, relatable stories of the highest highs and lowest lows, and maybe, just maybe, a rare peak in the envelope. found my discipline was just being a student of all the different types and just learning and being fascinated by like holy shit like how do they come up with those jokes like I think a lot of people think oh you're just funny in your head and then it comes out mm-hmm. no these people work so hard to craft these jokes and they work them over and over welcome to in the envelope the actors podcast I am your host Vinny Mancuso, Senior Editor at Backstage, and today we are joined by an actual trailblazer, first black woman to serve as head writer of a late night show, first black woman to serve as head writer of a White House Correspondence Dinner, Emmy-nominated creator and star of HBO's A Black Lady Sketch Show, which has more firsts both above and below the line that we even have time to list here, Robin Thede is joining us today on the podcast, the wonderful, hilarious Robin Thede. And if you have ever been even a little interested in the craft of comedy, uh, specifically sketch comedy, strap in, because this is a masterclass. Uh, We dissected the hell out of that frog, and it's truly, truly wonderful. Let's get right into it. Here is Robin Thede. Tell me if I get too loud on this mic. That's, <laughs> yeah, I, sure. usually have it, I usually have it backed off a little bit because I tend to be loud. But All right. <laughs> You already sound better than I would say like 90% of the people. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a professional. I'm a professional. That's I'm really all we ask. And this isn't even like the real mic. I got the whole booth over there. I, I mean, we're not going to ask you to break out the real booth. But <laughs> we'll I have see. a... I have um I do a lot of voiceovers. So. Yeah. And and because for my show in post, I do a lot of voiceover from home. Mm-hmm. So we set this up a couple years ago. Awesome. Yeah. Well, God, I'm so excited to have you here. I'm I oh, thank you so thank much for taking you. time. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. And I mean we're about uh I don't know, two, three weeks away from or out from the Emmy nominations. So congratulations. Oh, voting starts today. Oh crap. It, right now it's happening as we speak. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, that's exciting. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's so exciting. Congratulations. Five nominations for a Black Lady Sketch Show. Thank you. Um, I don't think that people quite realize the sort of thrilling narrative that happens in that category between the the, the fact that there's only 
there's only been two nominations, two nominees for the past few years. Uh, it's been SNL for five years in a row. Um, we all love SNL, you know. We it's an it's an institution, but it's 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 it it's almost feels like you know it maybe it's time <laughs> maybe it's time for for the institution to be dethroned. Um, but yeah, very exciting, very exciting. I cannot wait for for Emmy's night. It's gonna be fun. I'm just still trying to figure out what I'm gonna wear. <laughs> oh, well, you have time. I mean, we'll I have a little the, time. Take care of the voting, and then we'll we'll do the outfit. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I can't wait to talk about a Black Lady Sketch Show, uh, especially season three. But I want to talk a little about you first, um, because I, you know, I do research for all these things, these interviews. And, you know, there's always it always seems like the guest, you know, they have a specific point where they fell in love with acting or whatever. They, you know, they did this. But I, I read interviews that you do and, and and stuff. And it just kind of feels like you're a person who's always been creating. Uh, you know, it's it's just, it's it's sort of baked in you know you were you were making 16 millimeter shorts mm -hmm. as a kid you you, you toured with a, a puppeteer group for a yeah. summer uh you just you know for someone three summers just, yeah wow yeah that's incredible um so where what's the the genesis of that where did where where did the the creativity bug come from and it, uh yeah. yeah i don't know it's kind of always been in me i think the first time when i was little i got a laugh i was like oh that felt good, you know? Um, I'm a middle child, uh, you know, in a family full of people who are funnier than me, honestly. So it was like, my household is very loud, very boisterous, very funny. Um, and so I think I just came by it naturally. And then once I saw like Whoopi Goldberg and Kim Wayans and, and these black women doing it, I was like, oh, I didn't know we could do that for a living. You know, I had only ever seen, um, you know, largely SNL. So I didn't know that sketch was something we could do. I don't know. It's very weird how you just don't think, oh, I can do that until you see somebody who looks like you do it, you know, which is fun. So, um, yeah, I think, I, I think it always started really early. I don't think I ever really wanted to be anything else. Um, and even when I went to college, my parents were like, please just don't get an acting degree. I was like, why? They're like, that's not a real degree. No shade to the actors. They just wanted me to, you know, they're teachers. And my, now my mom's in politics, but they were in education their, my whole childhood. And so education was really important and getting a degree was really important. So I think for me, um, you know, I chose the only degree where I could be on camera, which was broadcast journalism and African-American studies, which was just like stuff I wanted to know about because I felt like I didn't get enough of it in school. And so I was running a sketch comedy group at Northwestern and then got scouted by Second City. And um, and then it was kind of on from there. You know, I came out to L.A. with a one woman show and started writing for Mike Epps and Kevin Hart and all these comedians and who really took me under their wing. Um, and saw something in me, you know, not just as a writer, but as a performer too. And I think the opportunities just weren't as plentiful as they are now. Um, so, you know, they always mentored me and helped me writing wise, but on camera, there wasn't a lot happening. I was on a lot of canceled shows and failed pilots and that kind of stuff for years and years and years, um, but made my bread and butter writing for others. And by the time I got on the nightly show with Larry Wilmore, I was able to, um, you know, start to really hone my own voice on camera. Thanks so much to Larry, um, providing a space for that. And then that set the 
set the pace for me to then do my own late night show. And then when that went away, the sketch show. So yeah, it's been a long road, but it's been one that's been really, really joyful and fruitful. And I've learned so many different things at so many different stages. But I think that starts from being a kid because I never saw anything different for me. So there wasn't anything by the time I was like, oh, I can do this for a living. It was like writing, performing, whatever. It was all kind of like, okay, well, I can just kind of make this what I want it to be. I remember mm -hmm. I was one of the earliest clients at my first big agency in the writer performer department. Mm -hmm. That was something that was like brand new. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's literally They're everyone. Like both? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were like, how can you do both? Um, so it was like, that was always tricky. And there were, for many years, a lot of people were like, oh, isn't she just a writer? Or oh, isn't she just a comedian? Or oh, isn't she just an actor? You know, like there were so many people that only saw me as one thing, but no one ever saw me as one thing exclusively. Like, you know, it was never like, oh, people mm -hmm. only see me as a writer. It just depended on how they knew me and what they had seen me in. So um, now I, I think people see me as a showrunner mm -hmm. and like a producer, you know, yeah. which is interesting because that was never really my goal. Um, but in order to make the content I wanted to make, um, it was kind of a necessary progression and mm. and again like a welcome one it's been really cool absolutely uh this is probably an, an insane question but can you remember the first time you you wrote what is a sketch the first thing that you wrote that you're like oh I, i'm writing a sketch or, or is it just like you were making these 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 little bits of of comedy and then it just evolved from there so my sister and I used to, when we would record these videos before YouTube was even a thing with my parents' old broken camera, um, we did, well, live, we used to do the Ricky Lake show. I don't know if you remember what that is, but Ricky Lake had a talk show. It was like mm -hmm. the Jenny Jones, Jerry Springer, Ricky Lake era. It was very like salacious daytime talk shows were like all the rage. Yeah, it was, on, um, it was what was on when you were homesick from school. Basically. Correct. So we would... Um, me and my cousins and my sisters would reenact Ricky Lake episodes, but okay. like make them really, really like hilariously ridiculous. But then when we started shooting them, I don't think we shot one of those. I remember there was a documentary. This is really inappropriate, but this will kind of Please. tell you where my humor <laughs> came from. There was a documentary. I think it was on HBO called Pimps Up, Hose Down. Okay. And it was a, it was a documentary about, pimps and hoes yeah and like it's right there in the title yeah it's right, right there in the, the title pretty self-explanatory but it was like wild it, it was really revolutionary for the time mm -hmm. um and and um you really got insight into like what these people did um you know for a living and it really humanized humanized them in many ways but anyway so my ass at 13 had seen it don't tell my parents and my sister and i shot a sketch called pimps up bears down <laughs> And we got in a bear costume and it was like pimps that were like uh. pimping bears out for like honey. <laughs> so it was like a very like sanitized version, yeah. but they were still pimps. Like, you know, <laughs> like making bears get out there on a the stroll for honey, yeah. not for sex, just to like, well, yeah. like scare people, like do what bears do, you know? So I remember that from early on, but I, all that stuff got lost in a flood. My I was going to say, it's a shame a it's not, you know, no, YouTube my parents something. had a flood. I don't even, I barely have any childhood pictures, mm -hmm. I have any of those sketches from back then. They're, they all got ruined in a flood. It was before digital 
conversion was yeah. our financial capability. So, yeah, I don't have any of it, but I do remember that one being one of the very early. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad you do because that's that's incredible. Um, and you know, you also mentioned you know one of the the big hallmarks of, of the early parts of your career was writing jokes for other comedians. Mm. I you mentioned Kevin Hart, Anthony Anderson, people like that. I'm curious what what writing jokes for in other people's voices taught you about your your voice yeah so i learned that comedians really only do certain types of jokes you know um even now on the sketch show we really only do three types of jokes (laughs) (laughs) and we exploit that those but it sounds limiting but it's not you know we love puns we love reversals we love um metaphors right so um those are the ones that we find people find most relatable it's it's not only those three types but like if you really boil it down most comedians only do one to three types of jokes and that's because that's what falls in their cadence this is very joke nerd heavy because mm-hmm. Dissect, i'm dissecting with a frog jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah but like really I mean, Richard Pryor was a storyteller. Eddie Murphy told stories through characters. Richard Pryor used character, but it was always still Richard there. Eddie disappeared into his characters, Mm -hmm. right? So, but they're storyteller comedians. And um, Red Fox was the same way. I mean, Moms Mabley was the queen of a reversal. Everywhere she thought, you thought she was going to go was a misdirect. Like, just from the dawn of time of comedy, you can watch this. Um, Whereas, you know, you'll get anecdotal comedians and and snarky comedians and metaphoric comedians and I mean, there's all sorts of types so what i did really early on was because i was a student of comedy and i was so obsessed with it and um, not just sketch but stand-up too and i never did stand-up i was always a sketch and improv comedian but i was obsessed with stand-ups and i was obsessed with the way that they wrote jokes so i just would figure out the types of jokes that they did and then I would write for that. And then over time, I learned what made me laugh mm-hmm. and what my voice was. And so um, once I started figuring out the things I had to say, you know, um, and wanted to say and kind of just how I communicate just in talking, let alone in jokes, um, then I figured out what my voice was, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And, then, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the same way where I am. I am. I, it, it's so interesting to me how comedy works, but then it's like, you know, talking about comedy almost, you know, it's like, it's like talking about magic, you know, and, and I'm curious yeah. how you, how, as, as someone who, who clearly deeply cares about comedy, um, what your way into the, the mechanics of it were, uh, the, the, the sort of day to day, this is how you write a joke, how you, how you came to, to find your discipline in comedy, basically. Hmm. Do I have discipline in comedy? <laughs> <laughs> well, some, something's working. Something's working. Out. Yeah. No. 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 I work really hard. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I think the best comedians are naturally funny, um, but you can still boil down what they do to a science, right? Mm-hmm. So even though Richard Pryor would never, I, I don't know. I can't speak for Richard Pryor, but like <laughs> even though most comedians wouldn't be able to tell you, actually, I don't think that's true. Let me say this the right way. I think most comedians, most incredible comedians can tell you exactly the types of jokes they do and the rhythm of them and the formula that they need to tell those jokes. Mm -hmm. And they're all different. That's why they all feel different when they're on stage. What Chappelle does is very different from what Rock does, is very different from what Lunell does. You know what I mean? And they're all, um, they've all got their own rhythm. 
And I think it's like a TV show. Like when you're watching TV, you want to know what you're tuning into week to week. You don't mind surprises and new characters and that kind of stuff, but it needs to feel like the same show. Mm -hmm. And so I think comedy is the same way and writing jokes are the same way. So how I found my discipline was just being a student of all the different types and just learning and being fascinated by like, holy shit, like how do they come up with those jokes? Like, where does this come from? And it's not, I think a lot of people think, oh, you're just funny in your head and then it comes out. Mm -hmm. No, these people work so hard to craft these jokes and they work them over and over and over. If you watch, Chris Rock will be out on the road for, I don't know, a long time before he does a special. And, um, you know, some comedians will go out for maybe a month or two, but I've seen comedians go out for years before they do a special, years. Mm -hmm. um, and it's incredible to watch and they'll jot stuff down and they'll come back and they'll analyze every single joke. What did the crowd do with this? What did the crowd do with that? And you may have had like a bad crowd that night. And I'm like, how mm -hmm. do you even gauge that? So I started gauging it less on audience reaction and more on my reaction. So does it make me laugh? Do I know that's a good joke even if the audience is too stupid to get it? <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Sorry, not too stupid, too drunk to get it. <laughs> um, it depends. Yeah. So the audience is never stupid. They're just usually drunk. And that's so, fair. you know, that's why I also like TV better mm. because if people watch you drunk, you don't have to hear it. You know, <laughs> you don't have to hear the heckling um, and not the heckling, but like the response, you know, yeah. it's like you just get a real reaction and in real time on social media, which is fun. Although you could be drunk on social media too. But um, yeah, I don't know. I find it I find it better to like, honestly, make myself laugh. Mm -hmm. And then I hope the audiences do. But like, if I'm laughing, I feel like I did a great job because I know I know what's funny. And I know, and well, things are different things are funny to different people. But in terms of like universally funny, I mm -hmm. know what's funny. Yeah. And because it's my trade, it's my profession. I have to know these things, right? An engineer knows how to make a rocket, hence my NASA shirt. But, <laughs> um, but I don't know how to do that. But mm. I, if you're like, you make me laugh, I can figure out a way to do that, no matter who you are. You know. Exactly. Funny. Funny is funny. You know, it's just funny. It's, is funny. funny is funny. It's the same thing. I mean, people are like, why'd you call it a black lady sketch show? Isn't that going to turn some people off? I'm like, uh, if they're turned off by that title, they might be racist. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, Not they to have deeper problems. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, you might be racist. If. Um, no, but like I, one of my favorite sketch shows is the whitest kids, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It was just, it's an ironic title, but I mean, but it is what it is. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You were definitely, I just didn't want people to be like, why are there no um non-black people on this show like mm -hmm. i didn't want people to be surprised when they tuned in i wanted to get that out of the way so then we could get to the funny mm -hmm. you know and i always say it's specifically written and specifically cast but it's universally funny it really is and you Absolutely. may not get some of the cultural references but that's part of the world we live in i don't get every cultural mm -hmm. reference everywhere all the time but i still enjoy everything so well, it's kind of like the the, the the one of the most beautiful parts of the show is is something you mentioned like if you're not even if you don't get specific you don't get the specifics of it you get why it's funny you know yeah I mean? like it's, you're it's still hard. laughing like yeah. it's still funny to see somebody uh, me in a beard or you know <laughs> doing something like not answering a question or mm -hmm. you know the coral reefs gang doing talking about paternity leave while they're talking about gang banging you know what i mean like mm -hmm. gang banging in the terms of what a gang does not like, like yeah, a weird well. orgy <laughs> thing um and so <laughs> it's too early i haven't eaten um totally yeah. So, you know, I think that's what we strive for, but we really strive for cultural authenticity as well. Mm -hmm. right? We want, we're a black lady sketch show, not the black lady sketch show. We can't represent all black women, but 
um, you know, we are delivering a sort of educational service to people, you know, anybody who comes to watch the show, whether you're black or not, is going to mm-hmm. learn something culturally that you didn't know before. And I think that's really fun. Absolutely. Um, so I, I sketch comedy in particular, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, it, it, it just seems to attract particularly driven people. There's something about that, hmm. about the sketched comedy, you know, you hear about what SNL is like, what, you know, yeah. and, and, and anecdotally, you know, people that do sketch comedy are people who are also just have like incredible amounts of projects going at one time. What do you think yeah. it is about the medium that attracts driven people? That's really interesting. It's hard. It's yeah. the hardest thing you can make. And I don't think people realize that sketch comedy is reinventing the wheel every day. Mm-hmm. So we shoot what I equate to 50 short films in six episodes between our interstitials and our sketches. It's over 50 pieces of content. And each one of them has, except the interstitials, those are usually in one place. But say we do 36, 38 sketches in a season. Um, Everyone has its own location. Everyone has its own characters. Everyone has its own narrative arc. Everyone has its own genre, style, and theme, visual aesthetic. So music score, there's nothing that can be repeated. We don't even repeat hairstyles in a Mm -hmm. season. So, and there are hundreds, hundreds of characters a season. So it's really wild because I think what attracts driven people is because it's not for the faint of heart. It is so difficult every day to create a three to five minute narrative that's going to make people consistently laugh. That's going to give you characters you care about who want to, who you want to see come back. And that's going to look beautiful. And those were our goals. Um, when I created the show, I wanted to make the most cinematic, beautiful sketch show ever. I wanted to make a narrative sketch show where black women live grounded experiences in a magical reality. Um, because I wanted it to be relatable, but also aspirational. Um, and so, all of those things make it incredibly difficult being at a different location every day having 40 or 50 guest cast in six episodes like that's unheard of it's unheard of so but sketch in general no matter how you slice it even if you are on a stage even if you are i mean what snl pulls off every week is the impossible Mm -hmm. um you know we do it differently because we take nine months to make the show and it's well we only shoot for three but um but it's uh it's still like breakneck pace you know Mm -hmm. um but it takes us a year between hiring writing production post marketing to get it on the air but um we have a much smaller crew you know i have seven writers every you know all the people we're ever up against in the writing categories late night sketch whatever have like 15 25 writers like we have tiny writers we only have a couple people in our cast like it's it's a small scrappy crew mm-hmm. so um that's why i'm really proud of it too is like not only does it take that dedication but we do it with way less people than most so um you know i think it's just i'm so proud of like our production design team our editors like all these people of color who are getting nominated for the first time in these categories and winning like it's yeah This is really cool. For your Emmy consideration, HBO presents Euphoria. Nominated for 16 Emmys, including Outstanding Drama Series and Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series for Zendaya. Don't miss what critics call a bold and original series. Euphoria is now streaming on HBO Max. I do want to get into the show specifically because I think talking about this show will offer 
an idea of of what goes into sketch comedy for the people listening because like you mentioned i don't i don't think people quite understand the amount of ideas that need to be generated oh my god uh, for the six so episodes you guys put out yeah we write hundreds of sketches yeah hundreds. I can imagine. and then we boil that down to like i said like 36 to shoot plus the interstitials uh plus the opening credits every season which mm -hmm. always change <laughs> Why did I do that to myself? I don't know. Um, but yeah, so it, they they will change every season. And every season, somebody's like, why'd you get a new one? I liked this one. I liked this one. But um, yeah, Black people don't like change. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to keep changing it because we're going to get used to it. But also, I think people now get it. You know, yeah. I think after first season, people were like, where are the puppets? And I'm like, they're coming back. Don't worry. <laughs> But I couldn't say that, obviously, but I knew they'd be back in different ways. But um, yeah, I think I think I just want to keep it fresh. I never want to feel like we're doing the same thing every season. And, you know, I just want people to constantly be guessing. It's why there's this through line in this narrative about what we thought was the end of the world. And we now know it wasn't the end of the world. It's just a parallel world where Dr. Hadassah would be <laughs> elected president for 30 seconds. Um, you know, so I think I think that's what's exciting about it is being able to leap between all these genres and like create this product that feels uh, varied but cohesive. Mm -hmm. Well, that, I don't know I if gonna... I answered your question at all. No, oh, I actually was going to ask about the cohesiveness <laughs> of it because something I I find very interesting about this show, and especially after you know rewatching season three for this episode. I, it almost feels like you could watch this show like it's Westworld. Like you could, <laughs> you can like sort of. Oh, there are, you there don't are know theories. how right you are. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it kind of, you know, because it's so. Because Wait till season four. You don't that's know. Very how interesting. Did I? That's a scoop. <laughs> that's a scoop for everybody out there. Well, it's not really. It's gonna mean nothing to anyone. <laughs> no, but, it's a, um, but, it, but no, I. Yeah, I'm obsessed with shows like that. I'm obsessed yeah. with Westworld and WandaVision and Lovecraft Country and all these shows that even Succession, like all these mm -hmm. things, inform the material. Because in addition to you know all of our cultural references, but they all inform it. Because I love. I mean, we've been called the Black Mirror of sketch comedy, which yeah. I <laughs> effing yeah. love. Like I. I'm obsessed. I can name any Twilight Zone ever made, uh -huh. any Twilight Zone episode ever made. I can tell you the entire plot. <laughs> I know them backwards and forwards. Like I'm somebody who lives on surprising the audience. And mm -hmm. I do think that audiences are smart, especially our audience. And so even when they're drunk. And so I think I think it's about constantly keeping them on their toes, but also because I want to um, encourage repeat viewing. Mm -hmm. I want people to watch this show over and over and over and see new jokes, see new Easter eggs, see new connections. Um, and the end of season three, we started to see that characters who had never met are now living in the same universe. So we created this cinematic universe where all of these characters can now inter interact. And um, I'm just, I'm just thrilled to see what happens with that in future seasons absolutely so just from like a, a beginning standpoint you know you're you mentioned it's it's sort of like an idea machine there are ideas flying around i assume all of the time how yeah. how do you know or when do you know uh when a premise is is ready when when it's something that's like oh this is something we should explore i get a click like i i just call it the click and i just do this and it makes no sense and no one's gonna see what i'm doing but it's it's like the iron man <laughs> thing i'm like clicking in that thing in my chest it just feels right i go that's it so I know when a writer pitches an idea and it's perfect from the pitch. And I know when an idea has been reworked 25 times and we finally got it, you know, and we've definitely done both. 
You know, it's not like every idea is perfect upon its first pitch. Um, but it's not even the premise as much as the relatability. Mm-hmm. I'm like, is there something in here that someone's going to see and go, holy shit, I know that person. Or I've been there before. Um, because we hear premises all the time that I'm like, oh, I love that. But like, it doesn't work on the show. Or I can't find a way to make that make sense in our universe. Or no one's going to get that. You know what I mean? But the premise is great and worthy. Um, But we write hundreds of sketches. That's what I was saying before. We write hundreds of sketches before we get down to those final Mm -hmm. uh, that we shoot, the final like 36, 38 that we shoot. And so, and then I cut some in post too. Some of those don't all even air. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So, like, what what is the um the 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 next step past that? You know, when you when you get a premise and it it has that relatability factor and it's it, it feels right for the show. Yeah. Um. How do you then drill down? How did how yeah. does that? So the writers know we all have to come with beginning, middle, twist, and end. Mm-hmm. And we're not focusing so much so on the hard, hard twist. Cause I, I mean, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, but I don't want, like I said, I'd never want to do the same thing every season. So I want you to feel like you're still watching the same, same show, but that we're evolving. So I've started to focus more recently, less on the hard twists and more on backstories and Mm -hmm. moving stories forward and giving characters more dimensionality. It's really important to me that these characters are not one note, that there's no like straight man characters where they're like just the foil for somebody who's ridiculous. I think everybody should be funny. So we work on all those. Like, I think the writers are always surprised when they come to the show their first season. They're like, oh, there's so many rules. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of rules because it needs to, without those rules, it wouldn't feel like our show, you know? Mm -hmm. And so... Um, we've developed a Bible and there are certain things that the writers need to do in order for it to make it, you know, into production. So yeah, there are next steps and without getting into too much of the secret sauce, um, the biggest, yeah, but the biggest thing is that it needs to have a full narrative. It needs to have characters who can come back. So characters we're invested in. So they're not one note. You've got to give them a life off the page and our actors credit to them because, I mean, I guess us, but we um, we all add so much to the characters, even beyond what the brilliant writers have already put on the page. Mm-hmm. Is there it's sort a team of, effort? Yeah, I think that that's another thing about about sketch is you know it it people know that movies are a team effort. People know that films and television mm-hmm. are, are a team effort. But like you mentioned, this is like five individual short films that are that are being shot and cinematically you know lit and and the color and uh, the costuming, the set design. I think that that's the hair, the hair. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, I'm curious how often you find that, that twist on the day, like how often, how often a sketch, you know, it it really, it finds that last over the hurdle while you're filming it, or is it, is it very meticulously plotted? Meticulously written over and over and over. No, we would never orchestrate plot or arc on set ever Mm -hmm. no because we want to know where we're going Mm -hmm. and i think your best improv situations are where everyone knows the stakes and everyone knows where we need to go but you may change the path to get there to keep you on your toes and that's okay but the character games have to be very clearly defined and the plot and the arc and the beginning middle twist and end all that narrative no i'm too much of a writer to let that happen on set i love that um and i'm not saying it hasn't changed on set Uh uh-huh 
Um, that's happened very rarely. I can probably only name two sketches where that's happened, but those were magical days where it was just like, mm -hmm. oh, we got to go to this place. And actually, you know what? I take that back. The ending never changed. Mm -hmm. The ending's never changed. It's never changed because I think the hardest thing, and one of the things, you know, this is like the seventh sketch show I've done, the first one I created, but I've written or written or written and performed on six before this at least. And then plus live shows for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. So I learned very early on that the end of a sketch is the hardest part. Mm -hmm. If you can dismount in a way that leaves them laughing and doesn't overstay your welcome, you've done your job. Mm -hmm. And um, Conan O'Brien told me once, he said, when I met him the first time, he said something like, I'm paraphrasing, he said, I hate you. Like when he first <laughs> walked up to me and I go, thank you so much. Wow. <laughs> and, and he was like, I hate you because I watched three sketches in a row just randomly mm -hmm. and every one of them hit. Mm -hmm. And he said, I've never had that much success. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Literally one of the most prolific comedy writers of our time. But um, it was funny that he said that though. And it, but that is the holy grail for those of us who do sketch. It's like, if you can have three hit in a row, mm -hmm. you've won. Um, and I try on this show to have every, every sketch hit, you know, uh -huh. and like every sketch won't be for everybody, but if you have more, um, that hit for people than don't, you're winning. Yeah. Um, they all hit for me, obviously, but you know, I think, um, we have a really high success rate with Batting our sketches. Average is yeah. High. Yeah. So that's, that's a huge medal of honor mm -hmm. for anybody who makes sketch for sure i do want to make one funny sketch but if yeah. you can make hundreds of funny sketches that's that's a big deal that's i was just deal. like literally right before this i was like oh let me watch one more you know just to get a sense of it and it was what up i'm three which which <laughs> which has you know it just it, that button at the end is just it, so it, it like propels you it propels you it forward and I that's think a that big I, twist it's yeah. a big twist but i don't know if it's unexpected I don't, <laughs> did you believe she was a child I didn't know what to believe because I never yeah, know what to believe watching, that's fair. watching this show. I don't like to get too comfortable in any of your sketches because. Oh, it's... yeah, that would be a mistake. <laughs> yeah, never get comfortable in these sketches because we will pull the rug out. That's for I love sure. That. I love that. I do want to I do want to ask more about, you know, some specific sketches, because I think, you know, knowing sure, how I'd they, love to, yeah. knowing how they were conceived, how they were written, how they were shot, directed, I think. Well, what about three? The writers laughed in my face and were like, don't do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, how often is I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I. I'm curious what what the what the pitch process is like for sketch comedy in in the sense that, um, you know, I I just I wake up every day and I I don't want people to not laugh. I don't want the feeling of someone not laughing at my jokes. But that is that is your entire sort of that's the bravery that comes with being a comedian. Is here's an idea I have. Um, do you think it works? I'm, I'm curious what that's like for you, bringing some to the table, and you think it's funny and you believe it's funny. But oh what, man, my writers will let me know. Yeah, that's that's kind you of what's, what that yeah. If I bring something, like. well, what up on three was that? So in season two, I pitched it, mm -hmm. and I started doing. So it was based on this story of this girl who had done this in the mm -hmm. UK, and the people abandoned her because she tried to like kill them. They but they saw her get her period. They thought she was like six, Jeez. and she got her period. And then tried to like kill the husband and like blackmail the family. And then they abandoned her and they went to jail. Jesus. <laughs> for child endangerment. I was like, she's not a child. Yeah. It's a crazy story. So I was like, oh my God, what if we 
you know, do something like this. Mm -hmm. um, so originally I had written this very dystopian version of it where it was <laughs> in the future in this weird orphanage in this family, like a place where children no longer existed. And so she was like, no, I'm three. You know, she was like, what up? I'm three. She always said, what up? I'm three like that. <laughs> the core. Yeah. But it was this weird steampunk version of the dystopian future orphanage. And they were all like, what is this? <laughs> this is terrible. Uh -huh. So I scrapped it in season two and I rewrote it in season three. And I just, trusted my gut and simplified it and streamlined it. And then, so we do internal auditions amongst the cast to put, see who's gonna play each role. Mm -hmm. We knew I was playing that role, but we didn't know who was gonna play Jerry, the one that's um, that Gabrielle Dennis plays. And so Gabrielle Dennis started, she interpreted that character so differently than what was on the page that it, I rewrote the sketch mm -hmm. um, and gave her 50 times more jokes because it was, um, she just became the focal point. The focal point of that sketch is not really me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's really the people around and who's believing it's a child and who isn't. And then Ashley with Harlan just being like, leave me out of this, like just <laughs> being this harangued wife of this woman. And then this poor Skye's character who just desperately wants a child you know and so that's what i think we do really well on this show especially in season three is give everyone a very clear purpose and you can watch a sketch only watching one character each time you watch it and you'll mm -hmm. get a new experience you know so that's what i loved about that and once i knew that sketch finally clicked in season three mm -hmm. and even then i think the writers were still like you're crazy you know but then when we read it at the table read everybody was like okay Again. And then, you know, once we got, I also had the vision. I knew what she would look like, right? Mm -hmm. But no one else did. So mm. once I stepped on set, people were like, okay, got it. This is crazy <laughs> and good, that. you know? So, mm. yeah, I think there's a, there's an evolution. There's some things that we know, like basic ball, the Patty LaBelle sketch on my own. Like when those things were pitched by Ashley Nicole Black first season, mm -hmm. it was like, oh, stop pitching go right like those are amazing you know yeah or like when um i'm trying to think one of my or or when holly walker pitched the last supper which turned into the resurrection mm. in season three the second thing on my list i was like oh my god because i mean, Cause, cause, I mean I, one of my favorite sketches i was raised in catholic school and you know it's just it's 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 yeah. It just hits. It, it does. <laughs> it just, it yeah. just hits. Yeah. And like, and but even if you are atheist and have never read the Bible, you can still understand the righteous yeah. indignation of three women who couldn't sit at the big table and are at the kitty table at the Last Supper, you know. And then with the resurrection, same thing. They got bad seats. Their friend hooked them up to a concert. They got bad seats. You know, that's it's the there's a universal relatability and vibe underneath all of them. But yeah, it's like those things you just know. Like when Holly pitched the Last Supper, I was like, holy crap! What a great idea. You know, and um, just super relatable. I think as black people, we all grew up sitting at a kitty table in our grandmother's house on Thanksgiving. And But I think that's not even actually totally a black thing. I think there's a lot of people who can relate to that. But, but yeah, so we definitely, sometimes you know right away and sometimes you just kind of keep working it. The sketch equally joked with Wanda Sykes and David Allen Greer. Mm -hmm. It was always funny, but the jokes weren't right. The premise was always right, but the jokes weren't right. And we were like, we cannot give this to Wanda Sykes and David Allen Greer with without professional level jokes, you mm -hmm. know? So we rewrote that dozens of times, dozens. Like the writers were like, I hate this sketch. I'm so over it. But what it ended up being was amazing. It was really fun and really, um, Wanda was so great and Dag was so great. And we were just able to create something that felt 
really unique, you know, that we hadn't done on the show before. The process is not the same for every sketch. Mm -hmm. What were the what were the other ones on your list? I'm curious. Let's see. We got the resurrection. We have didn't figures, yeah. uh, which is just oh, it's, it's, yeah. Which is which is, again is one of those things where it's so meticulously crafted. Like it's it's such a like it's so it you you keep using the word and I keep seeing the word cinematic. It's such a cinematic thing, but it's also just Gorgeous. so funny. Like it's just I don't know. It, it's these are the sketches that I that I think are just they're they're universal because because of the the way they come together. Snitches get cross stitches. Ah, uh, uh, yes. yes. Um, and that's you know that's another thing that I want to ask about is there's 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 that sort of weird horror turn there that 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 this this show gets into a lot um which is is, is interesting you know it's these they, they often bounce back from horror to absurdism and you know back and forth yeah um and it's just wonderful the way you, you balance it I, I, that's not a question yeah. but it's <laughs> it's a i'll take it i'll take it incredible well i i i i can let you go soon but i did want to ask you um something we ask a lot of people after, you know, sort of looking back on, on their projects and their career. And that's and that's if you have any advice that you would give to your younger self, if you could. It's interesting because as I was going through this business, it took me longer on paper, if you think about it, than a lot of people to be where I am, I guess. But the business was a different place. And there weren't a lot of black people on TV when I got here. Mm -hmm. um, and the black people that were on TV were on UPN and CW and they all those shows were getting canceled. Like that's where I came into this business. And so I just spent a lot of years behind the scenes writing for others, but still performing live, but not on television as much visibly for people to see. So I guess I would tell myself, I would say be patient, but I was. I was always enjoying what I was doing. And even when I had no money, like I was like, I never was like, I'm not supposed to be here. You know, I always felt I was meant to do this and that it would happen in time. And I kind of knew early on that it would take me a while. I don't know why. It's not that I wasn't ready. I just always felt like, oh, I'll have a long career versus like a quick success and then a fade out. I was like, oh, I'll take a long career. And so I think maybe subconsciously I did hide behind writing for others for a while because of that. I was still always auditioning and stuff, but that never worked for me, you know? So I don't know, what would I tell my younger self? Maybe I would just explain to her a little bit more about the business. It took me a while to kind of understand like how things worked, but to be honest, I wouldn't tell her shit. She made all the right decisions. She got me here. Yeah. <laughs> That's, and um, I never really struggled with confidence, so I wouldn't tell her anything like, you're great. I already knew that. Like, <laughs> I think that's my favorite answer that we've ever gotten to that question. <laughs> I wouldn't tell I wouldn't her, tell her shit. shit. I wouldn't tell her shit. She's good. She got me here. She was great. Uh, I don't know. She I did everything right. <laughs> I couldn't possibly ask another question after that. That's wonderful. Um Robin, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm so excited to have you on. This was and, lovely. Uh, of course, of course. And uh, yeah, we'll be watching Emmy Night and we'll be watching into season four and beyond uh, everything you do. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks, as always, to our brilliant producer, Jamie Muffet, and to the whole team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage with code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. 
100% free, you simply cannot beat that. For more exclusive content, find us on Facebook and Twitter at In the Envelope and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Who should we interview next? Let us know. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another peek in the envelope.